Welcome to On Documentary with me, Joshua LeBure, presented by KIOS at the Movies. Today I'm excited to share a conversation that I had with Jenny Perlin about her latest documentary, Bunker, now available for streaming on Mubi, Metrograph, and Projector TV, as well as for purchase on Amazon Prime. Bunker is a truly unique cinematic experience delving into the lives of individuals who inhabit and construct bunkers. In an era marked by the ascent of isolationist ideologies, this film provides a nuanced and humane perspective on this subculture, and it avoids sensationalism, and Perlin refrains from reducing its subject matter to mere punchlines. The documentary is filled with empathy, genuine care, and authenticity. I was eager to explore more of the depths of Bunker, so I asked Jenny to come on to the show. So without further delay, let's get to my conversation with Jenny Perlin, director of Bunker. Whenever you were thinking about making the film, what drew you specifically to this story? And what was your process for going about meeting these people? First of all, thank you so much for having me. And I'm really glad you liked the film. Um, I also grew up in the Midwest and it was a place of so many stories and so many different kinds of people. And uh, I started this project in 2017. My previous work had also been about infrastructure, archives, and Cold War spaces. A lot of the landscape where I grew up, which is very beautiful rolling hills in southwestern Ohio, I only later learned it um, was uh, filled with Cold War infrastructure, uh, uranium processing plants, underground bunkers, all kinds of strategic um, military supplies that had been then discontinued. Really, many of them not until the 1980s. I had wanted to find a bunker and to interview some people who had renovated it. There was one in upstate New York, and I tried to reach out to those people who were living there, but they did not want to talk. I learned later that Ed Peden, who's uh, in the film, in my film, Bunker, had sold them that missile silo that then they renovated. So then I went to go talk to Ed. And I reached out to all the people in the film via email and began a long, multi-year series of conversations with each and every one of them. I really love documentaries about people that are collectors, that are like really interested in things. These spaces that, to me, feel akin to that. It's interesting you say that because while you were talking, I thought, you know, Ed Peden is kind of at the end of his time in the bunker. He had asked me to come right away because he was going to be selling the bunker. And he had spent 30 years creating this incredible collection of what I kept telling him was, you know, an installation artwork that he was living in. And he's like, well, all these things are very practical. Um, and then Milton, I caught up with him on his first full, second full day of living in his bunker. So his collection is entirely different. It's going to require a lot of sorting, but he also talks about it as what a life looks like when you pick up your life and move it somewhere else. Everybody has things that they bring with them. Stephen Renee also has some, just had very special 
items that he had brought with him from Maine. So everyone is kind of collecting things for what they anticipate will be a new life somewhere else. There's an approach to the film that's very verite, but it also feels like there are interviews and they feel very personal and you hear you talking to them. And to me, it makes the film just feel that much more human and that much more of a way of, of discovering um, the humanity of people who, you know, are oftentimes stereotyped or made Thank fun you. of. Thank you. That was very, very important to me. It was also very important to the people who I was talking to. And it was something that in our conversations before I would go out and film, uh, they were very specific uh, in articulating that they had been portrayed in the media multiple times, maybe on YouTube or other kinds of things. There were things they liked about it. Uh, there were ways that they might be presenting themselves, but it was very important to them that uh, their stories be heard uh, in a way that felt genuine. And of course, when I'm sitting with people, I have a very empathic response and I really want to sort of sit with the stories and offer a space where people can share and talk about things because I really do believe that everybody comes to whatever space they're in with a very, there are reasons that they get to where they are. And it only serves the film and I think the complexity of the storytelling if you take the time to sit with the subjects in a way that lets them express themselves. These guys also uh, were very lonely and wanted to talk once they let down their guard, which again involved just time. Uh, they all talked about how much they appreciated being able to share. Well, I think that really comes across that uh, that empathetic response as well, just because, and I think that it not only serves the film, but it serves us as the viewers to be able to watch something that is avoiding that sensationalism. And I oftentimes think in a, in an era where we're getting served media so much, you know, we have, we have, you know, TikToks and Instagram and social media and everybody's sharing their stories and everything are like mini documentaries, little windows into people's lives and stuff like that. I, you know, there was a time where a few years ago I was like, well, what's the role in the doc of the documentary filmmaker in the future? And I feel like a film like this is exactly what the role is. Cause role. Yeah. Because you're, you're taking something that we see through our sensationalized media and you're taking your time with people and the people's stories are kind of unfolding slowly. And to me, it's like providing context and humanity, just something that, just is so hard to get through in little snippets on social media or in the news um, when the news is yelling at you 24 hours a day. Thank you so much. Uh, a couple things related to that. One is um, about time and, you know, a lot of the, there are two things actually. One is about sort of the long takes and the kind of slowness of the film and, um, that happened on purpose It because as soon as I got to these places, it reminded me also of growing up in a place where time really does slow down. And I felt that the film, of course, is meant to tell a story and give context and information, 
but I also really wanted it to give a viewer the feeling of what it's the feeling of that time, the feeling of sitting in uh, Kansas and listening to a storm from 20 feet underground for hours by the fire, or the feeling of what it's like to spend half your day chopping wood, you know, to do something uh, that you need to do later on that day. So I really wanted the film's slowness to impart the sense of the time that the people in it were living. Another um, another reason that I think for me, these longer, slower filmmaking styles is part of what I do is I spent many, many years shooting 16 millimeter film and there, you have to make a lot of decisions prior to shooting 16 that require you to slow down as a filmmaker and really compose your shots and um, and let things unfold. And then you don't get the film back for a week or two. So you have all of this time to speculate and wonder what you're getting. And then you get your material and you look at it and you think, this is this is new to me again. And so that's also something that um, I kept in mind while I was shooting. There's a lot of that time to breathe and reflect in the film, which I think is really important. Those are the kind of films that I love. And those are, I'm an anxious person. I have anxiety. <laughs> and films like this, I feel like they allow me to connect more and to like actually be able to make those connections. And I, and I really appreciate that about it. Narrative is something I'm not that interested in most of the time. Like what I... What I love about the film, like you mentioned, is the fact that it captures that mood. And you honestly feel, I know you said a lot of the people were lonely and there's, there's some moments in the film where I genuinely like felt like on the verge of tears in some way, because you can feel their loneliness and you can feel their, and it's almost like a self-imposed isolation a lot of times. Um, like, cause a lot of the folks live in the, the bunkers and some don't, but it seemed like a lot of the folks do live there. So they're spending most of their time alone. And I think that, that letting us, letting us feel that it makes us connect with the humans more and just with the possible way that they are feeling. Each and every one of the people I spoke to, whether they're selling bunkers or living in bunkers, talked about community. They talked about how they wanted to build a community, how they had at one point had a really rich community of people who would come and party in the bunker or that they were going to make a collective space. But in the end, they did find themselves uh, alone. And I think, I mean, that does say a lot about kind of in my view, the way America is also built, right? Which is, you know, you want to, there's, there's this idea that everybody is helping each other and doing stuff together. But um, because of the way society is often structured, people feel that they also just have to rely on themselves or their most immediate neighbors or their most immediate family in order to be safe and secure. So a lot of the people in Bunker at one point had built networks and community for themselves or were 
planning on doing it at some point, but at the time where I encountered them, they had none. In America, you know, we talk about the rise of loneliness and isolation in general, especially amongst men. And it, it, it stuck out to me that everybody in the film is a man. I assume that a majority of people who buy and build bunkers are men. I mean, I know that they probably bring their families there and stuff like that, but I feel like a, there must be some kind of correlation there with, you know, the epidemic of men not having friends and, and, and that the rise of isolation and, you know, that has to be part of it. That struck me while I was watching the film. Self-sufficiency is such a strong force in the U.S. and its culture and its cultural imaginary uh, that um, that I think, and, you know, you think about people sort of moving west, westward expansion and circling the wagons and providing, you know, um, but um, there's so many myths around the kind of the man moving through space alone uh, that it it's really quite embedded in the way people may imagine how they're supposed to live. The men in Bunker all had partners, wives, girlfriends, and... Um, who had gone on the journey into the land of bunkers f- for some time and then realized that their lives were not sharing community in the way that they wanted. So they left. And I found that very significant. I felt that in that was part of the reason that, for example, I left my voice in the film quite a lot, both to kind of explain why you know, most of the shots are from a five foot two perspective (laughs) and I'm looking up at people, Uh, but also uh, because so many of the conversations I had with them, because I was in these places alone, were about um, an idea of um, female companionship or what some of them would call kind of feminine energy and, um, and so that was a really, really palpable in um, in all the situations that I was was in. That they missed they missed their partners, their wives, their girlfriends, and um, I didn't stand in for them, but but I represented this idea of female in in a way that they wanted to talk about. Yeah, and there are moments in the film where you feel that palpably as a viewer where you're like, oh, this is like a person with a camera with like seemingly a stranger in their house. (laughs) And there were times where I was a little worried for you. Um, But it seems like you came out unscathed and it seemed like everybody was nice and respectful. So that's good. (laughs) But were, yeah, you don't have to speak to it, but (laughs) were there moments where you were worried for yourself? I mean, a lot of the, you know, I come from a place where, you know, you don't lock your doors, you talk to everybody, um, you say hi to strangers. So I come from a place that, um, at least on the surface, has an enormous amount of um, social trust. And in my life, I have, knock wood, you know, been served very well by continuing to, in some degree, that 
level of engagement with other people. Um, some of my worry when I was in bunkers had more to do with um, a media imaginary that kind of popped into my head from time to time than anything, any reality. And when I was concerned about something, it was very easy to talk to the people, the subjects of the film about it, um, either kind of in a humorous way, or we had also some very serious conversations. Um, but I never felt disrespected or unsafe. See, and I think that's a great thing. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's something that comes across to you. Um, I'm curious... Did you shoot Bunker by yourself? I mean, were you like a one-person crew? Yeah, I shot it by myself um, and sound, and I edited by myself. And yeah, I had some great help with color and sound because those are the areas that I definitely should not do on my own. I just love there's something about a one-person documentary crew that's like really romantic to me, but also like I think... And I think it comes across in this film, you know, and speaks to a little bit of what we've been speaking about that it allows for a certain intimacy that, that I just really appreciate in a film. And it's one of my favorite things about documentaries that especially a Verte kind of documentary like this, where you're going into people's worlds. And I don't know, I just really appreciated that in the film. So that's cool to know that my uh, instincts were correct. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you know, there are multiple reasons why I like to go and do this kind of work by myself. But for the most part, it has to do with that intimacy that you described. Um, the, yeah, the way of being focused completely on the person that you're filming as opposed to other things. Although from a technical perspective, it might've been useful to have a sound person. Um, but I also think that if the person you're talking to also is running the camera, then the camera doesn't, it doesn't have to be forgotten. Uh, there's an acknowledgement of the performativity of the subject and the filmmaker that I also really believe in. I know that in Verite, you know, everything's supposed to kind of be forgotten or kind of disappear. But for me, I think being behind the camera and interviewing also adds a level of respect for the way that the characters or the subjects are performing themselves or narrating their own stories that is different from kind of forgetting that the, the, the devices are present. So, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely something that affected me more making this film than any of my previous films. I had mentioned before that we, that I had been making a, a series of short films about people living in bunkers, starting with the one with Ed Payton and then, um, with Milton Torres and it was continuing on. And I had made four of these short films. Um, in the meantime, I had been showing them and uh, the film critic A.S. Hamra wanted to see some. 
Um, and they were streaming online at a place in New York called The Kitchen, but it was difficult for him to access. So I sent him some links. And uh, he had written this fantastic book called The Earth Dies Streaming, which is an incredible book of uh, his collected film criticism. And I loved it. Uh, and so we got to talking and um, he encouraged me to build the fe- build the film out into a feature. And he came on as a co-producer for the film. So in effect, he really helped sort of guide the film to its final form that you see that you see now. So it's been a fantastic asset to the project to have him and his cinematic expertise along the way. Well, I'm excited to check out his book. And I also noticed whenever I looked him up after you mentioned him in our emails that he had written for N plus one magazine. And then I'm like, okay, now I probably should get my subscription to N plus one (laughs) because I have my Jacobin subscription. So I need to get my N plus one subscription as well. Yeah. N plus one, the baffler Harper's um, book forum, all kinds of things. And I have to say, I'm, he really is one of the uh, best film critics out there. Um, And cause he's really loves film and he's really, writing about the films that he sees and it's quite brilliant it's so interesting because i feel like you know i do film criticism on some level my friend tom he's a great film critic and also a filmmaker but it's so rare to get film criticism and people who are film critics and filmmakers as well and i love to see it because I think that the best film school you could really ever have is just watching films. And, and I just think back to like the early days of the French new wave, essentially that all Godard and Truffaut and all of those people were critics first. And I think that that's like such a beautiful thing. So whenever you mentioned that, I was like, Oh, I love to see it. And I think that that could having that kind of input from, you know, somebody so steeped into in the process of watching films and thinking about how films are made. I feel like it's an interesting approach. Did that, do you feel like that added a layer having them on board to like making you think about the film differently? A hundred percent. In part because um, he's such a well-regarded film critic and it was a real honor for me because this is the first film that he's taken on as a, as a co-producer. So it was, it meant uh, a lot to me that he really believed in the project. And then in terms of, you know, finishing the film, of course, we talked about everything from, you know, adding one more section, which is the last part of the film. So uh, it, with his encouragement, I finally braved, uh, you know, the, the last, the last seg- segment of the film, which had been um, really difficult to access. And, we worked together on structuring the film, on sound, on the sort of conclusion of the film and its its flow overall, in addition to the distribution, which is always, you know, can always be a challenge. So, yeah, I mean, like I always say, I couldn't have couldn't have made this without without Scott. I really just loved the movie. I don't know. There's not there's just like something ephemeral about it. Honestly, like when it comes to a film like this, there's just something kind of ephemeral that just kind of makes me feel like there's some kind of hope for conversations and humanity and 
in people. And I, I'm generally the type of person who thinks that most people I think are generally trying to do the right thing. My last kind of question is just what has, you know, as you've been finally showing the film, you know, what have you, what has surprised you that people have taken away from the film? You know, what are the things that um, kind of stand out to you, I guess, when you're getting feedback about the film? I mean, I'm, I'm always interested in the different audience reactions based on where I'm showing the film, um, whether it's in uh, the, the premiere in Memphis, for example, or New York, or LA or in Germany and um, there's there's just interesting approaches to the film from different perspectives. I think everybody is pleased and and surprised that it is not a film that's making fun of people or making them look like total you know weirdos. Uh, but that the film has a kind of empathic relationship to its subject and takes its time with them. That is that is a kind of universal. I think in certain parts of the country where I've shown it, people are very surprised that there are a wide range of politics that are expressed throughout the film. And... Yeah, I mean, it depends where I go, you know, the extent to which folks know about these kinds of places or have relatives or friends who are involved in prepping or subterranean interests or infrastructure, and then people who can't even believe that such a thing exists in America. Absolutely. There's a fine line between building resilient communities preparing for things like climate disaster <laughs> and I think that what I guess I didn't really think about till we had this conversation was that fine line between that and building communities and resilient communities and then the American tendency to like retreat and and go essentially you know live alone with just your family and that's the only people that you care about and i think some people in the film just say that and i think that that's like a dividing line i think amongst people it's been extraordinary to see over the years of making the film and and to now the kind of parallel to this bunker life in what you describe as these resilient communities i mean both in urban and rural settings the uh mostly young folks sort of getting together to kind of um, understand that uh, community and family can look very different and resilience is also going to look really different in the future and it is it's impossible that it would be an isolating or an isolated phenomenon like people understand that especially after um, you know so much great political uh, and you know epidemiological work that's been been done over these years um by you know by folks on the ground so i watched this film on uh metrograph but if people don't have that where else can they see it you can see bunker on amazon prime on mubi and like you said, on Metrograph, and as well as on 
projector.tv. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and talking about your movie. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Bunker is absolutely one of my favorite films I saw this year, and it's now streaming on Metrograph, Mubi, and it's available to purchase. For KIOS, I'm Joshua LeBure.